ready. You. Always. Oh. Oh, I stepped on your line. You are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget's in the Grotto Pod. We're all here in the Grotto Pod, which for some reason is hard for me to say today. I almost stumbled over the you word. You know why it's hard? Grotto Pod. Not warm. Yeah, uh, we're about 20 degrees cooler than usual, which is unusual. Uh, whew, I usual used unusual, unusual. twice. Oh, usual and unusual. Today in the Grotto Pod, we will be joined by one of our favorite people in the whole world. True, true, true. Lee Daniel Kravitz. And uh, we don't use the Daniel. No, I didn't know that until I saw something Some published on, publicity yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, you may be familiar with the name because Lee is one of the producers of this here Grotto Pod. Yes, he is. We couldn't do it without Lee. Oh, my God, without him. I can't uh, even imagine. And informally referred to by me as one of my rabbis, one of my limited number because of rabbis so in the world. Because he's so wise. I think he is everyone's rabbi. Well, he's not my rabbi. He might be your therapist. But maybe my therapist. Yes, I would say that for sure. He is a licensed. There's a little different. Not much of a difference, though, between oh. being someone's rabbi and being their right. therapist. Um, he is a licensed therapist. Uh, and we are going to get to the bottom of all that. Lee's going to step out from behind the curtain, as it were. Mm. Uh, I wonder if he'll like that or not like that. We'll find out. Uh, Lee is very easy to talk to, very easy to listen to. He has a new book coming out uh, today, I believe. We're going to post this the day of uh, the release of Strange Super. Contagion. Let me give you the whole book because yeah. it's a mouthful. Yeah, oh, I don't want to step on your line again. <laughs> Strange Contagion, Inside the Surprising Science of Infectious Behaviors and Viral Emotions and What They Tell Us About Ourselves. Infectious and Viral are nasty words. I know. But Strange Contagion is an awesome title. Right. And I, the premise of the book is um, in 2009, I think, there was a mm-hmm. number of suicides at Palo Alto High School. Right. And Lee looks into uh, what made them contagious, I guess. Right. And uses that to expand on the idea that thoughts and ideas can be, uh, what did your sister say? Epidemiologic. Oh, <laughs> well, she's a doctor. And she was when I was explaining the premise of the book, she said, it sounds just like a disease model. It sounds like an epidem- epidemiological model. That's a hard word it is, to say. It's harder than grotto pod. It is. And I had trouble with that. Yeah. So uh, we're going to talk to Lee about that. But also, uh, you know, <clears throat> if it wasn't for Lee Daniel Kravitz, I wouldn't be sitting here. Oh, because Lee was he's your my, father. Well, <laughs> which is odd because he's younger than me. <laughs> oh yeah, so that's not right. Uh, no, he is my rabbi, but not my father. Oh, he uh, introduced me to the grotto, and oh. I think got me into the grotto. Doesn't work like that. He may have warned them. You know, a large sweaty man holding a falafel <laughs> is going to be appearing at a lunch. Where's my soon. falafel? We got to go get them. I want a we falafel. We got to go now. on a road trip and get those falafels. They're up on Montgomery Street. There, That's the grotto very is located uh, a fifteen-minute walk from Market Street here in San Francisco. Which is why I never go there. Fifteen minutes. Uh, it's a good fifteen minutes. <laughs> Too far. Yeah, it's pretty far. Uh, anyways, Lee, uh, I interviewed Lee for a um, a website many years ago. Mm. Actually. Uh, I think it might have been before his first book, Super Survivors. Also a fantastic title. Fantastic title, uh, The Surprising Link Between Suffering and Success. Um, That was a very interesting book. It was a very interesting book, and Lee had a little bit of skin in that particular game that we're going to talk about, too, Mm -hmm. why it Mm -hmm. came to him to write a book about that. And some of the things he learned, He that book, he I think he interviewed Bishop Desmond Tutu. He did, yep. Tutu for that book. Uh, so Lee's been all around, but we just know him as our buddy Lee. Yep. In fact, I'm glad that you introduced Lee because the two things I accidentally always say is, <laughs> I know what you're gonna say. is Lee Krasner. Lee Krasner. Who sure. was a, an art mid-century modernist painter. Yeah. And Lenny Kravitz. Oh, Lenny Kravitz. Who was the guitarist for Guns N' Roses. Nope. Lenny Kravitz oh. is his own being. Slash. Oh, you're, thinking slash. Of the, oh. you're thinking of the other half-Jewish, half Oh, my God. Did guy. I just do that? That you is so embarrassing. Oh, my God. That's I, you're terrible. being expelled from the grotto You're right. Lenny Kravitz is Zoe 
Kravitz. Kravitz's father, Lisa not Bonet's husband. Yes, Lisa Bonet's husband. And possessor okay. of washboard abs at age fifty-three. I know that guy is super hot, which is annoying. He's fact. actually hotter than Slash, although it's hard to know what Slash looks like because of the hat or the yeah, hair or both. Both. Yeah, I, I think, think Lenny probably even without the hat, I think Slash probably couldn't compete. Yeah, that's scary. Plus, I, I don't definitely think he has washboard abs. Had like a '90s moment where it all just collapsed into my brain. But at any rate, I mix up all those people apparently. Mm-hmm. All of them, and um, they're all Jewish. You're telling me. Partially or entirely, yes. Well, maybe that's my problem. Yes. I'm Whether just, or not they're good for the Jews, I'll explore on a different podcast. Yes, tune in next week. But you know, the only way for us to get more interesting right now, mm-hmm. introduced Lee Daniel Kravitz into yep. the room. So why don't we go get him? Okay. Lee, we're coming to get you. Lee. Uh, I'm just, I had to interrupt yeah. our conversation to actually start recording. And it. you suddenly paused for the first time in ten minutes. But first, I want to say that Lee, you are brave indeed. Oh, you're I wearing agree. a sweater. Oh, Long does it get sleeve. warm in here? Uh, he who no. wears a sweater becomes a sweater. Oh, really? Is it the? Uh, but yep. it's good news because apparently some kind of transformer blew up over the weekend. Oh, I heard about this. And so it we wasn't the no, one that turns into a car, right? No, different <laughs> one. Uh, it's a PG&E one. Oh. Um, and so there is apparently no heat, but also no AC. Oh, good. So we actually might suffocate in this closet, is what you're saying. I have come close. It's, Fear for it's, our lives has happened. happened. In the past. It hasn't actually happened, but um, the the normally unflappable yes. Todd Oppenheimer oh, was in here most recently. Yes, left here drenched in sweat. And he was wearing linen. No way. He was wearing linen, mm-hmm. as wow. an unflappable man will do. And Fred. When Fred Vogelstein was in talked here. about it, yeah, he he wow. left and talked. He told he shared it with people. That's yeah. you know, I think they were just nervous. I think you guys make them nervous. Yeah. It's just where the sweat it's comes. All from. of our, you know, well, it's a penetrating interviewing. The, the, the big heads on these guys over here, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, mine just looks big because I don't have any hair. That actually is true. I always comment on the fact when I, I see your head first, and then right. I see the rest of. Well, me. don't forget, just a sad little emo boy trapped in the body of a Russian gangster. <laughs> sort of like That's Boris in the Goldfinch. My favorite character in the Gold. Finch is Boris. But we're here to talk about Lee. Oh, yeah, Lee. Back to Lee. We just did a nice intro where we told everyone that you're our rabbi. Oh, yeah, I'm the guru. Which is odd. I am. I don't look like a rabbi. Not traditionally. But if I did grow a beard, it would look like a dead animal on my face. I've tried that. Maybe a reform rabbi. I could do reform. Oh, they they have beards? Uh, Orthodox guys have beards, and a lot of guys do. Plus, have there are beards. women rabbis, and re- they don't have reform. beards. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, yeah. They, they, yeah, they tried that look out, and it just it, it, it didn't people work. People didn't like it. Okay. Yeah, it was hard. Got Thank it. You there? Yeah. Um, you seem to be like a therapist around here, and that's not an accident because you are a therapist. Yeah. We want to talk about the new book, but I also want to give a little background info on who is this guy, Lee Daniel Kravitz, who's mm-hmm. put into this world to solve people's problems. I want to say up front, even though we've already said it, new book, Strange Contagion. Mm-hmm. Or is it Contagions? It's Contagion, yeah. um, singular, okay. but there, it talks quite a bit about a lot of very strange contagions. Got it. Okay. We'll get there. Yeah. Teaser. It's a teaser. <clears throat> to kick things off, Lee, I want to know something. When you started out thinking, I want to be a writer, and this was not a linear path that led to that, from that thought to this book, is not a linear path. Not at all. What kind of writer did you have in mind? I started out wanting to be a, um, a, a novelist. I mean, I think that's where a lot of these things start for writers. We always yep. want to tell stories. And uh, it only occurred to me... I think it was after journalism school and all this stuff that Columbia, Columbia, exactly. Mm-hmm. And when you, you know, you start learning about the real world and telling those stories, they're just as fascinating, if not more, because totally, holy cow, there's some amazing stories out there to tell. And you know, um, but that's not exactly what got me to where I am. Too, it, it was very, like as you said, nonlinear, mm-hmm. nonlinear. So. Because you had gone, and this is not an unusual path for wannabe writer, journalist, whatever. To fo- actually, not a journalist. Yeah. For an, a wannabe fiction writer, fiction you went writing. into publishing. That's exactly right. Wait, you went into publishing before you went to Columbia? I did. Well, okay. no, no, no. Actually, so I went to Columbia for, for journalism right. school. And then as soon as I got out, I was like, oh, my God, you know what? This is like two, uh, year 2000. Newspapers were folding uh, left yeah, and right. Yeah, that's really hard time. Yeah. It was really hard time. It was like it was like a bloodbath. You saw all the magazines in New York were dying out and disappearing. Mm-hmm. Staff were uh, all the being staff cut. members were being cut, yep. and they were going to freelancers. I was going to make twenty thousand a year if I was lucky. So yeah. I said, you know what? I'm going to try to do something 
painful but smart. I'm going to you know go into PR, and so which I could see you yeah. being good at. Well, thanks. You know, I, I it was kind of easy. It was about storytelling. Yeah, it was about mm-hmm. storytelling, yeah. and you're very personable. Yeah. Thank mm-hmm, you. I, I try. So. I, I try. You know, I always thought that the beard might help, like soften the the, the it, look, but I never I know did it. It's a thing now, but I'm not into it myself. Oh, good. Well, then mm-hmm. it worked out well. Yeah. So we're talking like the beard because beard, you know, like beard, beard well, soften you off. Yeah, soften you out. You know what doesn't soften you up? What? Shaving your head. Yeah. Really? Yeah. You know, I can imagine nice, that. Although nice, you do soft. it really well. Do you use like a, a razor to do it, or do you use a? Kind of How thing? is it all the same well, length on the bottom and the top? It is. Since you're asking, I am really curious. The answer. It's really. What is that? What is, oh shoot! I don't remember, but uh, Occam's, Occam's Occam's razor. Oh, Occam's razor. It's, it's the a simplest razor. possible answer. Using okay. a razor with a razor. Because I was going to say, Occam's, Occam's, Occam's razor isn't a, a real razor. Uh, you know that, right? It's a uh, electric, <laughs> you know, little yeah. clippers. Yeah. Set them all the way down on zero and just whoosh, the whole the, the whole, whole, head. Head. whole head. Wow! How Every long three days? Take? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. That's produce. Yeah, you don't use shaving cream or anything. Nah, like nah. Wow. I'm impressed. You know what? Like, seriously? Yeah. It looks I'm, good on you. I, I dig it. Actually, I, I, do I too. really dig it. I wouldn't go for the Bic. That's too much work. It is. And it's like dangerous, too. You'd get a little, you'd like get a definite. The only Nick. problem is, and this, of course, is very on target, on, on sweat. On topic. I'll bet. Sweat is one problem because yeah. there's nothing to stop it. Yeah. yeah. Other problem is when I was 11. Kitty Aspinda threw a rock and hit me right here. Oh, you got Uh-oh. a little uh, divot? I, had, I got uh, stitches, three stitches. Yeah. And I kept there. Oh, boy, I hope you don't ever lose your hair. You know what, though? <gasps> it adds character, and you can totally. always add a tattoo. It makes people think I'm a tough guy. You are. Chicks dig it. Yeah. Back I, to Lee Kravitz. Okay, right. Okay, we exactly. Here we are on the so, pod. PR. PR. So I was doing PR for a while, and uh, but I started working in book publishing because I really enjoyed working in books, uh, working with books. And then comes the crossroads. Then comes the crossroads. I decide. Um, well, there's a couple ways to, to slice this pie, but basically, basically, I uh, at thirty, I had a kind of this crisis where I said to myself, "Well, what am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm I'm not publishing very well. I'm not I'm not anywhere closer to my my dream of being a writer, a published writer." And so I decided to go to graduate school, mm-hmm. and I decided to become a therapist. Was there? A, I don't remember this from mm-hmm. a long time ago on interview. Was there a scene where you ripped up your apartment? There is actually. Yeah, okay. There is. So, so Vicky that, wanted to hear that. She's like, I, I don't believe. I it. said yeah. I couldn't imagine you. Yeah, being so, angry. Well, first, it wasn't then, anger. It oh. was actually out of fear. It was totally oh. out of fear. So I was. Um, so this is the other way to cut the pie. Okay. Um, so basically, and I talk about this a lot. So mm-hmm. this is easy for me to talk about. But basically, I got um, when I was twenty nine years. old, old. Um, I was on this one life path, you know, publishing, PR, all this stuff. And um, I actually wound up getting really sick. Mm -hmm. And I was diagnosed with cancer Mm -hmm. at the age of 29. Wow. So young. It was really young and it scared the hell out of me. Um, And I'll talk, I've actually had your look before. Oh, that's right. Um, I did. That's and right. uh, it was, uh, it was actually, I looked pretty good, I thought. <laughs> Not like a Russian gangster. Not like a Russian gangster. I personally yeah. really like bald men. Yeah. And my husband has a full head of hair, and I always say it was lost on me. Like, oh, he no. could have gone bald. Uh, no well, no, I like it. Yeah. I'm just saying he could have gone bald, it would have been fine. You know, that's love. But that's love. mentioning no. this yeah. illness is definitely cogent because I, I feel like it led directly to the topic of your first book. It did. It did. Yes. It totally did. So what wound up happening was I graduated, oh, well, I graduated from the, the chemo award, so to speak. And, and, and then you're still in New York? I'm still in New uh-huh. York. And what wound up happening was I'm, I'm sitting in my apartment. Like, I literally, it was actually 10 years ago this week. Wow. 10 years ago this recently. week. That recently was 10 years ago this week. And I go back home and my oncologist said, Lee, congratulations, you're cured. Go back to living your life. That is amazing. Just that phrase is incredible. That's exactly what he said. It's, wow. it's, it's But it's incredible, but it's also fraught with a ton of weight. But that's exactly yes, what wound up happening. I because yeah. What I, is that life? What is that life? And I, you know, I'd spent the last year worried I wasn't going to have a life. And then all of a sudden it was like, one, it's never going to come back, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the cancer. And two, just pretend this didn't happen. Go and back to what you were doing. What we're doing, we're doing. And I was like, I, I can't for the life of me go back to sitting in an office. All right. And not only I that, that, I couldn't look at my old life yeah. in any way, shape, or But Lee, was this, a, was this a, you know, life is precious type of thing? Or mm-hmm. was it just a what am I doing? It was a what am I doing slash life is precious slash I feel guilty for, for wasting what I've done so far slash identity crisis uh, to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. It was all of these things at once. And it was classic PTSD. 
because that's what happens when this ha- you know this goes on. And then wait, uh, what goes on? Well, when you get when you have something like a life crisis, like a but like what's a trauma. the PTSD part? The PTSD, so post traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. It, so anytime you experience a trauma, like mm-hmm. a near death experience, about thirty to forty percent of us experience what's called. Well, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. You become hypervigilant, which means that um, you know when things are, you, you're always on the alert for for problems. Mm-hmm. You get freaked out. You're not sleeping. You're not eating very well. You have flashbacks, and this happens. And for the most part, PTSD. Um, resolves itself after mm-hmm. a period of time, and that sort of happened with me. And sometimes you need therapy, but yeah. But so the PTSD led to yeah, my so my change. So what it wound tearing up, up the apartment, tear up the apartment. Oh. So what happened was, thank you for bringing me back. So I was like, where was I going? Okay. So what wound up happening was, I come back, and you know, my doctor had said you're going to be fine. And everywhere I looked, I saw the last year, and right. I saw talk about hypervigilance. I saw everything that surrounded me reminded me of what had just happened. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to get as far away from it as possible. So basically I, I looked at my 500 square foot apartment where I did not think I was going to be, you know, mm-hmm. alive, you know, I was going to die in it. Wow. And I wound up going through it. And within a, a week long period, I threw away everything in it. I mean, everything, um, all the pillows I'd used, the clothes I'd worn, the clothes I'd seen in my closet, but never actually wore the silverware that I used, everything in the refrigerator, um, even the furniture that we had. So was it a conscious thing? Like it might be tainted with cancer Mm. or was it just like, I can't deal with this. It was a reminder thing. It wasn't, it wasn't like this magical thinking sort of thing that happens, but certainly there was an element of it. Like if I'm anywhere close to it, it will still get me. The complication is at this time, you're not living alone. That's right. So my, my, (laughs) I just, right. So this whole thing happened when I just, I had been married for about, uh, about a year when I got sick. And so I called my, I called my wife at the time. I was like, you don't really need any of this stuff, do you? And she said, do what you need to do. And so Whoa. I threw all this stuff out. And by the time she got home on the third day, the great thing about New York is you put something out on the sidewalk, it's it disappears gone. It's in gone. seconds. San Francisco, too. We, is it like that there? We yeah. furnished our entire apartment from the street. Well, you could have had anything from my apartment if you wanted to because it was gone within seconds. I'm yeah. talking everything. The only thing we kept was uh, my wife's kind of heirloom sofa. But I really wanted to get rid of that thing because it was just... It was what I had slept on. I was going to say the sofa seems really fraught. Right, but the television, the Nintendo, the PlayStation—it's wow. fantastic when actual people act like characters in stories. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? It's a weird thing to say, but it's true. And you start to think to yourself, you know, nothing about this situation is normal. From getting sick at twenty-eight right. to to how you respond to it, and I, I'd actually when I was sick, I had been—I uh, tried to get a job because uh, I I couldn't work while I was sick, right. but I tried. You know, it was fun to try to get jobs. And I had gotten a job, and uh, I, I got a job right after I got well, and I immediately quit it. I had mm-hmm. been there for three days. And I was like, this is not my life. This, this is not my life. Yeah. And so what wound up happening was I wound up going to graduate school, uh, became a therapist, thinking, okay, they help me. I can help other people. Mm-hmm. Well, you didn't just go to graduate school. You moved 3,000 miles. Right, to the That's opposite right. coast. I did. Yeah. I did. Well, that was actually part of my cleansing because mm-hmm. I had started out wow. in San Francisco, and mm-hmm. I wanted nothing to do with New York anymore. Got it, it got to the point where I was I was throwing away all the little things in my apartment, and then I was like, well, I can't look at my neighborhood anymore, and right. I can't go to those restaurants anymore. But Lee, what would you think of someone who would say, well, you're just running from your problems? I was running from my problems, without a doubt, and in fact... But it turned out to be a legitimate solution. Well, in this case, it was, although I didn't... Has been catching up over time. Mm-hmm. It always these things always do because you know what they say: wherever you go, there you are. Well, well I was, oh, no. and you know, looking in the mirror. Well, we you know what I did. This is kind of you know, you know, it, it was interesting. What I did was I, I realized after I moved back to San Francisco because I had started out here, mm-hmm. I wound up replicating my life before I had gotten sick. So all the friends I had oh, out interesting. here were like the friends I had before Lee got sick, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and then. And I wound up buying a souped-up version of the same car I had. I had basically the same furniture from Ikea in my apartment in San Francisco. <sighs> it was unbelievable. I'm I sorry. But I can't kept get the past the idea of Lee driving a hot rod. I'm picturing the most <laughs> obnoxious muscle car. You know what? I thought uh, – so I would got, be fantastic. I really wanted to get a motorcycle, but then I was like uh, – mm. Cliché. Yeah, that's too <clears throat> cliché. I can yeah. do it. A tattoo, though, I could totally do. <laughs> but, yeah. You can go with if I was your wife, Matthew Zapruder on oh, their yeah. tattoo. Are you really going to do it? You are. I heard you were going to do this. I heard this. Yes. Really going to do it. Yeah. Are you really going to? That's <laughs> of okay. Just, I know. He would love do doing it. it. I know. We're doing it. 
Okay. It's, a, it's done. It just have to, it has to be after July Can we 29th. live podcast from there while it's happening? <coughs> you have to ask Matthew. That would be I'm fantastic. sure he would say yes. That actually. would be wonderful. Seriously. But you kept the wife. This is the in my mind. Yes, I did keep the wife. Okay. I did. I did. And we wound up. She's she, a saint. Uh, yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's pretty amazing. She was a saint. Not only that, but like <coughs> we were, we came back to visit San Francisco, not even just to move here. And I said, we're doing this right. And she said, okay, I'll tell you what, if you get a job and you get an apartment. Oh, but, that was well said though. Right. Well, yeah. also, but she's a big career gal too. She is. So she was. She re- couldn't just uproot and go. She she is a, a major career girl. She's like you know uh, head of Hillel International right now. Up. She was wow. uh, she was a, a, about to become a director at, at uh, American Express. And I, holy you know, moly! Like really up yeah. there. And I said, you know, what do you want to do? I mean, it was a real crossroads. And we ultimately made this choice, and we came back here. But when I did that, I was like, I still don't know really what I want to do wow. and how, how I rebuild my life. So long story short, I go to graduate school for therapy thinking maybe this is a good path. And I, at the same time, I'm really heartbroken that I didn't become a writer, mm. as we all do, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very tough gig. It's a very, very tough gig uh, to break in, to be good at it, to understand it. And if there is a formula to getting there... I wanted to learn it, and I had worked in book publishing. I would worked with my favorite authors, and I still didn't break that that formula. Yeah. And uh, so I get to graduate school, and I walk into my uh, uh, my advisor's office, and I said, I'm thinking about writing a thesis for my graduate thesis. And was your advisor? David Feldman. David Feldman from Santa Clara University. Yep. Wow. So that is how he ended up being your co-writer. Co-writer. So what happened was I wrote my thesis. Mm-hmm. And most people write a thesis. I didn't know this, but most people in grad school write a thesis at, at that you know at that school, about 30 to 50 pages. And half of it is references. Right. I turned in a 300-page thesis. <laughs> and he was like, um... Here's your PhD. Yeah, That's pretty what? much. He was like, what do you want to do with this? And I said, I kind of want to publish it. And he goes... Interesting. I have to publish it. I always have to publish too. Publish or perish. What if mm-hmm. we went on it together? And I said, that sounds great. Not thinking it would turn into anything. Oh, whoa. I have a lot of alarm bells going off yeah. in my head right now. Mm-hmm. So can you assuage my fears? Okay. Well, I just uh, don't know Daniel. I know he was here uh-huh. for a while. Um, but really... Uh, Bring him out. I'll, I'll tell okay. you everything. So you turn in a 300-page thesis and he, his name is on the book? So what, Yeah. So that's part of... when In academia... I know. You know. That's why the alarm bells Those are going up. alarm bells are going up, but much more quietly. Oh, quietly. I'm like, yeah. my brain's on fire right now. So what wound up happening was he was oh, my advisor as we're going through this. And he, you know, he, to, to his credit, he really helped shape the thesis. Great. And he helped shape the, you know... If you're talking about what the book was called, Super Survivors, right? And it was a great book. It, it is a great book. Thank yeah. you very much. Yeah. And and frankly, you know, he was like, okay, well, you know, with it's about post traumatic growth, how we grow after trauma. Mm-hmm. No one was writing about this at the mm-hmm. time, which is why it became kind of what it became. Um, and he was like, well, post traumatic growth, interesting. Well, these are like the the seven or eight things that you should look at. And then I went out and I paired stories. And I Mm -hmm. found people who had basically gone through traumatic experiences, been a one-life path, and then experienced, uh, you know, a near-death experience, whether it's cancer or fires or plane crashes or, you know, uh, uh, I mean, like floods and and you name it. Mm -hmm. And then they they bounce back and then they bounce forward and change their lives. They didn't go back to their old lives. They changed their lives. And it was – I really liked the book because – this may not surprise you, but people who say – Power of positive thinking yeah. kind of rubbed me the wrong way, and there was a, one, one. There was one guy in the book who described himself as a negative thinker. Right? God, you are right on this. Right. Um, so yeah. Uh, again, this is so in this in this book. Let me back up a little bit. When I was sick, everybody told me you've got to think positively because if you don't, it's going to harm you. Only you know, posi- no stress there. No, right. right. That's no pressure. Exactly right. No pressure. Oh, right? Shoot, I failed. Yeah, I was like, positively. I, well, that's why I was like, I am, I am legitimately a dead man. Right. That's what I thought. I'm not going to get better because you're dealing with this sort of stuff. You don't feel it's very a positive. Lot to ask. It's a lot to ask. It's and also bullshit. It is bullshit, and it's also, frankly, we got the Jewish gene, as right. you know. We worry a lot. We worry. So and look, what people have has survived is it have or has people yes. survived longer as a constituent uh, people and culture than the Jews. Right. But it we has have, to be serving the culture in some way. In some way. They don't say that we all die by the age of 40, but oh. it's, it's true. No, I'm just no. kidding. It doesn't <laughs> really happen. Get, but, you, but you reproduce before 40. Oh, yeah. The, we, I mean, the thing that they, we're Jews, we, okay. we have you know, The old the joke time. is every Jewish holiday is the same. <laughs> they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. Let's eat. And, and we add, awesome. let's drink. Right. Actually, too. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted to add something 
thing too is yeah. I, I didn't want to oversimplify by saying I didn't, you know, just think positive. But yeah, people think that thinking positive is a switch you can turn on. Yeah, and it's really not. Guys, that's exactly right. You can't, and you shouldn't. And so one of the reasons I wrote the thesis mm-hmm. originally was I was terrified, and I was angry. I yeah. was like, there's got to be research to show that that is bullshit. Yeah. Right? It yeah. just is. And it turns out there's a lot of it, which is awesome. And it means, like, you can actually think negatively. Because the paradox is really crazy, right? Because, okay, to believe that thinking positively will lead to positive results. Physical results. Physical results. You think positively, you're going to get that car that you want. Mm-hmm. You think positively, you know, the pain that you carry around will disappear. Mm-hmm. You know, these sorts of things. When the, uh, You must also assume that the opposite is also true. Right. That if you're thinking negative, right. negative things will happen to you. Now, what if you are a positive person and bad things keep on happening to you? You are going to start to blame yourself for not thinking positively I was positively just going to say, it's, it's, it's blaming the victim, maybe not victim. But long. yourself. But yeah, for yeah. sure. Right. And it turns out all the research shows that's not true. You can totally be miserable, angry, depressed. <laughs> and while it's always better to be positive because it's, you feel better, it's not going to harm you. It's not going to like. It's not going to send you down. You that only path. have to look at the history of art and literature to know that that cannot be true. Oh, that's exactly right. Right. That's exactly right. I mean, when you talk about what we do here at the Grotto, right? It's all about art, and it's about pain, and it's about expressing that pain. And the best stories, whether they're fiction or nonfiction, are are rooted in that truth. Mm-hmm. Right. Otherwise, they have no dramatic arc. They don't. You need that weight. And if it's just kind of like, you know. A poppy story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it won't connect with many people. Does, is it that people confuse visualization with positive thinking? Because when I think of sports, mm. I know if, you, if you, if you, because I say this to my kids all the time. Yeah. Like if you, my daughter is a phenom. Yeah. And it's partly because in the real world, that optimism is actually not good mm-hmm. because she'll be like, "I got this," and go take a test, and yeah, maybe she doesn't have it, you know. <laughs> yeah. But on the basketball court, she's got this. And it means she's got like that thinking does. It does. Here's, it does. Here's a problem with that. Yeah, I'll put one hole in that. Yeah. And maybe it's exclusive to sports. But if you're not good, I'm right. a very positive thinker when it comes to sports. I always think the best thing's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, it's very disappointing. Well, you've that, got to pair that up with skill. Right. right. But that's, why, that's good, why I'm but thinking I think it's visualization. I think like, that's valid, though, because people just right. saying, this great thing's going to happen. Realistically, oh, it's not going to happen. So, right. right. You actually have to. So there's something called agency. <clears throat> and if you, you can't. Right. So one of the things that happens, you know, we talk, uh, the podcast talks about faith in some cases, mm-hmm. right? So one of the problems with faith is that there's this whole philosophy behind if you if you visualize it, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not that that doesn't happen, but the problem is there's got to be a middle step. Right. There's got to be agency. You've got to actually do something. You can't just sit there and wait. So if, like, you know, Larry and and I, basically, if we decided to join a basketball team, we would suck. Every time I shot, it's going in. It's going in. It won't go in because we we, we just don't have either the skill set or we don't have the practice (laughs) or we haven't, like, spent 10,000 hours on it. Or maybe we're just limited. Or we're limited. Yeah. Which is fine, which means that maybe we'll find our, you know, as long as we have another goal, like mm-hmm. what if we're not going to be great basketball players, but we will be great water boys. We well, could be the great announcers. Yeah. Great announcers. Yeah. We can tell, we yeah. To, yeah, exactly. Then we could do it. But there is some small piece there. I mean, I do see why people get fixated on that because if you see the ball, if you, okay, I'll say the opposite. Yeah. If you think, oh shit, I hope I don't miss. Yeah. You're right. Miss. Okay, so yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a different thing. Well, this actually leads into my new book. Actually, yeah. Okay, let's oh, so get you want to go there already? Thank, God, just, thank yeah. God he's taking over. I have like five more minutes before we had to talk about. Dude, the new seriously, book. let me just take over, guys. Okay, let me please. Just as as it is yeah. on the Grotto. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. The true moving the true. force behind <laughs> the, the Grotto. Grotto no, guys. Finally, it's out. It's true. It's true. We can stop pretending, you guys. Okay, so basically, there's something. There's something called contagious zeal. Mm. And we can catch you can catch zeal from somebody. That sounds else. scary too. It, it could be. Like it could Zika? be. No. It's like Zika. It, it's but you can catch it like Zika. Yeah. It's like a like a virus. Oh, when I think of like national socialism. Oh well, yes, all that's contagious too. Yeah, like it is zeal. Zeal. Well, okay, so to, uh, since we're going to talk about strange contagion, uh-huh. um, is this a, this is an unfriendly question? No, bring it on. Is this all just a fancy way of saying mob rules? Um, there, uh, there's mentality that, uh, mob mentality that is definitely contagious, but I'm looking at it. Well, I have to back up a little bit. Yeah. So the okay. way I, the, you know, one of the ways I, I, I decided, one of the ways I found my way into writing ultimately was like, I found my subject matter. 
Right. And that it takes so. a long time to find your, your voice yep. and to find your subject. Mm-hmm. For me, it's about resilience. And not in this kind of froofy way, but actual, like, remarkable ways that people bounce back and bounce forward. Um, and one of the things that wound up happening was I was living in Palo Alto at the time. You know, we had moved back from New York. We lived in San Francisco. My wife got a job at Google. We moved to Palo Alto. We're about to have my, my son, uh, my first child. Yay. And we move in, and it's about around the corner from Gunn High School. Now, mm. for those of you who don't know, Gunn High School is ranked – it's a public school. It's, it's, it's ranked number four or five, depending on the year, for the top high schools in the country. And that's based on the idea that most of the kids get into four-year colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them go on to be Ivy League uh, – Ivy, well, they, they, they aspire to Ivy Leagues. And the expectation – whether it's personal or mm-hmm. it's it's uh, cultural, cultural mm-hmm. um, is that they will. Right. Or at least so if you don't go to an Ivy League, you're kind of a loser. And a failure. Yeah. Which Ooh. isn't yeah. an unusual Yike. state for Bay Area teenagers to be in. Yeah. Right. That's exactly right. So I'm sitting there going, whoa, this is a big deal. But I don't yeah. think much about it until 2009, right, right around the time I, you know, my son is about you know, maybe three months away from being born. Um uh, a student from this school walks, um, leaves the school campus and walks onto the train tracks about two miles away and lets a train hit him. Mm-hmm. I remember. Yeah. And this was a big deal because mm-hmm. this had never happened before at this school. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows quite what to make of it. But then three weeks later, mm-hmm. another student from the same school, also just like this first student, popular, well-liked, loved, had great grades, had a relationship. In fact, the, the, the second student had already been accepted to her dream college. Um, which was a you know the, the, one of the top drama schools in the country at, at NYU. Incredible! Oh my God, Tish. It, Tish, that's exactly right. Tish, that's I went exactly, to NYU. That's exactly right. It was Tish. I'm not name for, dropping. No, 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 name dropper. That's exactly it. But she yeah. you know, right before done. She so she dies. Oh my God! A month later, devastating. A month later, it happens again. It happens five times in six months, and there would have been more except people were pulling other kids off. And it was gun, not Palo Alto. Pally. Palo Alto High started, it happened to them a couple years later. Okay. Okay. And there were a couple of cases there, but Gun High was the one where ultimately there were nine students in five years. Nine. I can give you stats that will make your hair turn white. If you oh, had yeah. hair, it would turn it curly actually and then be white. white. It might actually would be even whiter then. It would mm. just, because, I mean, it was very scary. I was like, what is happening? And For parents, must have been out of their minds. My heart goes out to them, and yeah. it did. And it was terrifying. So I went and I spent six years trying to figure out, well, what's causing this? Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's a huge storm of behavioral, emotional, and um, and psychological contagions. Are teenagers more susceptible? Yes. So, But that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Let me get your opinion on the controversy surrounding that 13 Reasons Why show. Oh, yeah. Great. Is that legit? Uh, yes and no. So that so thirteen reasons why you know it's this TV show that's come out on Netflix or came out and it shows basically this girl who dies by suicide and she has thirteen reasons or thirteen people or thirteen um, uh, instances that have kind of led contributed to, her. to it. It's basically it's 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 a certain type of teenage fantasy. Yes, and that's the problem. When teenagers say, oh, "I'm going to kill myself," and then they'll be sorry. Right. Right. So that's the problem. So. It's a two-sided question, a two-sided answer. Because on the one hand, anytime there's a platform like Netflix to talk about right. suicide and mental <clears throat> right. illness and wellness, hallelujah, let's do it. This is great. Don't right. be afraid. Don't have it be in the closet. Don't Seriously, have it be a, a sick thing. It's yeah. not like right. it's. Don't worry about the stigma. Right. Fuck the stigma. Right. Right. Get it out there. Right. Put it on billboards. First, first f bomb dropped on the show since Joe Loya. Oh, really? Nice. I can do I've a couple more. I've been so good, Lee. Really? Yeah. You can bleep me out, or you can enhance it depending on what you want to. But I mean it. Like that's how passionate I feel about. No, it's this. huge. It's huge. Of like, course. Fuck the stigma. That would make a good T-shirt. It should actually, and we could do mm-hmm. that for the Grotto Pod. Fuck the stigma. <laughs> Listen to the Grotto Pod. <laughs> I, I was thinking about teen suicide. Right. That, that too. Too. <laughs> well, that too. Whatever. Yeah. I, I can cross pollinate. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's a contagion. <laughs> so what winds up happening? Though is uh, you know, thirteen reasons why. Let's talk about it. Let's bring it out there. It'll save lives. The problem, though, is that this is essentially a story of revenge. Yeah. And when it becomes yeah. a story of revenge, you're glorifying suicide, and that is the seed for a contagion of suicide. Wow. Because that kids is... don't think that they're not going to get to go to their own funeral. Oh yeah. 
That's they exactly think they're right. going to be able to sit there and watch everyone cry, yeah. which is the problem. Well, there's no prefrontal cortex at that point, and they have yeah. no, you know. But, and, and, but a teenager would say, of course I know that. Don't be right. ridiculous. But it, there As is just some eyes, ineffable thing. They don't. Well, there's no connection. Right. right? Yeah. There's no connection. Right. And here's the other thing. Like a teenager's and adolescent's uh, limbic system right. is so, uh, the limbic system is like where you you feel emotions, right? And I just heard this uh, com- com- uh, comparison today. Like for you know anybody who's over the age of twenty five, when we feel emotions, it's basically in black and white. Okay, mm-hmm. like we feel them in a, like a kind of a, a level area playing field. When adolescents feel emotion, it is almost double, and it's in color. Right. So right. that's how to kind of think about like how our limbic system as adults works compared to kids and teenagers. So when they feel things, they express things very differently than 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 we do as as rational adults. I gotta right. confess, I kind of miss it. I do too. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's a little, there's a little bit of a hit from that. You know, you do, you do, and there's science behind it, and it's fascinating, but it's also dangerous and scary. Right. It's. I mean, as a parent of teenagers, I think it is one of the scariest things because you hear so often that parents had no idea, and it's so easy from the outside for people to say like, "Well, they weren't talking to their kids, or they don't know," or but man, it's and it's so easy to look at your kid and go, "What are you talking about? Look at your life. It's great." Yeah. Right. Right. What do you have to worry about? You're in Palo Alto. Alto. upper middle class. Well, that's the thing. And so when talk about what's contagious in Palo yeah. Alto and in communities like it, what's fascinating is that parents and, 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 and administrators and even your classmates are passing along, it's not just stress, but it's expectation, it's fear of failure, mm-hmm. it's a, a, a hyper work ethic that is mm-hmm. uh, that leads to burnout, which is highly contagious. Mm-hmm. And all of these things are combining to, to – and then on top of that, if you have any sort of mental illness, meaning like depression or anxiety, which is the, the, the groundwork for any sort of suicide. Which is not uncom- – those are not uncommon things. Uh, right. Especially with teens. Yeah. Right. right. Then all of a sudden – and by the way, anxiety, depression – that's contagious too. So wild. Yeah. My, I was telling my sister who I was just in Hawaii with for a week yeah. um, about your book. Shout oh. out to Bridget's sister. Happy yeah. birthday. Aww. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday. Happy 60th. Uh, about it. You have a 60-year-old sister? Yeah. She's I have, one of nine kids. I, I know. Near the I, bottom and she's near the top. So you're like 15, 16? Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Holy. Uh, but she was saying she's a doctor and she said it sounds just like epidemiology it is epidemiology where it is an actual i said i couldn't say that word in the intro um an actual disease model it is in fact that's how they're treating it so that was one of the ways i was like well okay i walked away going i can't i don't want to focus on the kids who are dying it's not their story it's a community story yeah that's great step back i'm like you know what's really going on here this is the story of a town Mm-hmm. A town, a remarkable town that has felt uh, been crippled by something incredibly painful mm-hmm. and yet has not just bounced back, it's bounced forward, it's changed, it's come together so to try to that. save. Oh, yeah. That's fantastic. But, you know, you have to look for it and see mm-hmm. how, how it's being done. And I went around the country talking to epidemiologists. I've, I've talked to people who are using uh, disease models to stop contagions of violence. Wow. And then I bring that whole model to Palo Alto and I'm like, how do we apply it to this system? And holy cow, it's really working. But is there a sense because of the world we live in and the freedom and rapidity uh-huh. repetition at which information is shared? Yeah. Is there a risk that it's going to be like in the world of athletes and steroids where the cheaters are always one step ahead of the solvers? You know? Yeah. How hard is it to stop something from spreading when information can spread this fast? That is the double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. You know, it is. And that's one of the problems with what's going on both in Palo Alto but also in other places. Especially with teenagers because they're using social social media media in ways that are secretive. Yep. And misleading, it's, and manipulative. It's very hard. Not only that, let me let me give you a, a crazy example. You have um, uh, eating disorder. Let's say like anorexia. Oh, okay, no anorexia. Anorexia has been around since the seventies. It didn't exist before the seventies. It existed because there were like anomaly. No, uh, I'm rolling my eyes at you. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not anorexia. I'm sorry. Bulimia. Bulimia. Okay. More of a skeptical. I apologize. I apologize. It started Just with anorexia. I can, I can think of 
uh, yes. people in the 19th century who I don't know how else to describe. It, it goes all the way back to the okay. 15th century. Okay. You're right. I apologize. Okay. It started with anorexia, but yeah. it, but bulimia did not start. Okay. Um, in fact, you can edit that out. So, uh, <laughs> no, but uh, and bulimia didn't start until the late 70s. Okay, that may, but that's interesting. That's, right. So that is true. Right. And what happened was there was a guy, a, a, a professor who was working with trying to treat people with anorexia, mm-hmm. and then people would come in saying they're anorexic, but they didn't have any of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. And they, they looked healthy, mm-hmm. but they did have an eating disorder of some sort. And he wrote a paper about it. That paper got uh, published. That paper then went on to be to, to inform the diagnostic manual. All of a sudden, bulimia becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. It's printed up in magazines, and you can trace chart the spread, the spread across the globe within three to so the four spread years. of information. The spread of information. Wow. Now, here's where it gets interesting. How do we stop it? Well, you could either go out into the public and say, "Guys, bulimia is out there. You can find treatment," which is great because it sends a lot of people to, to get treated. Uh-huh. But just that announcement alone mm-hmm. spreads bulimia. Right. Right. What do you do? So it's tough. And it's like you right. try to hopefully outpace the problem with, with solutions. It's kind of like, this might be a weak analogy, but during the election, mm-hmm. all the attention paid to white supremacists. Mm-hmm. And that Richard Spencer guy, they said, oh, we had this, this conference where he did the Hitler salute. Yeah. Well, there were 200 people at the conference, but the video got viewed 2 million times. Right. Wow. Oh, my God. That's a brilliant way to think about it, Larry. That is it's absolutely right. And now it's like they have a platform. Yep. Their message gets We all know there. who they are now. We do. Right. And and there are kids out there now who are like, oh, I might identify with this. Yeah. This doesn't sound like such a bad idea. So this is the reason, for example, that um, I've lived in San Francisco for 20 years and you never Ever, ever, ever hear anything about a suicide off the Golden Gate Bridge? Oh, that's right. It is yeah. never publicized, never reported. Yeah. You, I don't. It's probably findable, but it's not easily findable. Well, I can talk to you about that. <coughs> yeah, do, yeah, please do. Do people understand mm-hmm. the ramifications of the spread of information like this? Do people get it? Uh, yes and no. Um, so the the truth is, it used to be. Well, something like the Golden Gate Bridge, for mm-hmm. instance, or the stuff that's going on a gun or any sort of suicide or anything like this. It used to be, before the Internet, that you could control the message much better. So there's mm-hmm. a, there's an organization called the Annenberg uh, School of Public Policy, right. which we all know. Mm-hmm. They came out with these guidelines that showed if you're media, the media, they shouldn't uh, do certain things like with the word suicide in headlines mm-hmm. or be graphic or gratuitous um, or anything like that. And that actually does stop the spread. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. That's great. The, uh, one of the reasons is also you don't want to like basically um, glorify what happened. You don't want them to feel like a martyr, right? right? Because other kids might join in. But then you got something like the internet. The internet comes on. Right. And it becomes a major problem because you can't really police you that stuff. You can't control the message at all. No. Yeah. But I was just going to play devil's advocate and say, well, that's censorship. It is. And it totalitarianism. Is. Right. With, without a doubt. And I actually address that in the book, too. Like, how do we control the message? How do we tell people, guys, what you're talking about is bad? And this is where I think the, the important thing is here. We should talk about suicide. Right. We should talk about these things. Don't right. be afraid to talk about it because not talking about it makes it worse. Right. But you want to talk about it in realistic, honest terms. And you also want to always have solutions attached to it. Like, hey, if you're feeling this way, here's a number to call. You know what? By the way, did you know that 3% of everybody in your high school right now has, has suicidal thinking? And did you know that you're not alone, that most high schools, their wellness facilities, have a 1,000 kids show up every other month you know, just to get check-in? Um, and that's I good. I do think that's very helpful it's because very helpful. you also have to hear something like three, four, five, six, seven, eight, mm-hmm. nine, ten times before you go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you think something like the it's get, It Gets Better campaign is mm-hmm. effective? I think it's a start. I think you have to. And I don't think... I think it, if people are afraid to talk about that stuff, mm-hmm. it, you know, any detractors for uh, for the It Gets Better campaign, uh, you know, worried that it's going to spread the idea of, of being gay, of being yeah, or of, of the problems that come from it, right? Um, then, oh, I you know, see. Uh, you know, because oh, it was really it was kind of a, it was less about, I mean, it was about being gay, but it was really also about like how to be, men, you know, right. uh, you know, mentally well, you know, like your emotions. I'm being like the, the depression; it's going to get better. The anxiety mm-hmm. attached is going to get better. People are going to treat you differently when you get better. You know, I think that's wonderful. I remember when we went, when I was fourteen, fifteen. That was the thing that saved my life. Was thinking it will not always be like this. I will have agency. Yeah. I will be able to get through this and get out of here. Yeah. I mean, that is what saved my life is just knowing. And, and 
I did, and it was. Like, but it you have no idea. Just like, right. I know, but you have no idea because, like, I work with, you know, I'm a therapist on the side, right? Uh-huh. And, I, you know, when I, I see kids, they really have no concept that there's something beyond this because it's right. Been right. forced down their throat that, right. by the way, if you don't get into that Ivy League school, That's there it. is no future. Life's over. Your life is You're going to be derailed. Right. So... And not having read the book. Yeah, because neither of us have read it yet. Yep. But we're excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. Do you spend time expanding beyond the world of teenagers? Mm -hmm. I do. Um, The thing about social contagions, which is what this book is up, you know, basically about, like if you had a theme, it 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 doesn't um, it doesn't uh, discriminate against age, gender. Um, ethnicity, right? Couldn't you argue that materialism is a social? It is. It is. It's I could. A, I could say that. So materialism is, without a doubt, that's where we get memes from. That's mm-hmm. The whole idea of memes and 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 trends and things like that. Um, wh- some people call it uh, like messages are sticky. Mm-hmm. That's where that comes from. It's how you know how is it that somebody who is wearing a, a dress in in you know like uh, like say Paris, mm-hmm. all of a sudden the next season that becomes the color or the style. Yeah. Right. You know that if not for so. Social contagions, there would be no advertising. Without a doubt. Because it if, wouldn't work. Without social contagion, my book would not sell. Right. It you also know? explains, I mean, in some ways it explains, uh, I keep saying, I think my book is doing well because of Trump. <laughs> like oh, it's counterintuitive, yeah. but feminism became of interest. Isn't that fascinating? Oh, yeah. And it but kind of, it kind of, me- it, well, it sure. became less an academic idea or a, or a political idea than just a social but, idea. Yeah, great. Perceived tyranny among the government is always a big driver for art. But it also, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it also explains, you know, my, uh, my daughter is studying World War II right now and she keeps saying, how could people in Germany have let that happen? How could mm. they? And you think, yeah. well, there's a nice grandma. What happened? But mm-hmm. social contagion, it, it does kind of, ex- I don't think it excuses it. No, but it but does. It explains Look, it. Oh my God, what a great example. And it's totally true. When it comes to what happened there, what happened was it was social contagion, a, a ton of them. You mm-hmm. had fear, right. economic depression, right. you had um, anger, and you had somebody who came in and, and manipulated the message right. and said, you right. know what? I can use all of these things to make my message contagious and right. I can activate. So there's something called primes, things that cue you, that make you feel a certain way. Like, okay, here we are in the grotto pod, which is like basically the size of a coffin. <laughs> and it even kind of <laughs> but, looks like a really higher tall ceilings. coffin. But higher yeah, ceilings. A really tall coffin. A, a tall coffin. But think about this. We got these foamy things around here, right? Yeah. That the, the, the bounce the sound. What's cool about that is you, you feel cozy. Mm-hmm. It makes you, you don't feel grotto claustrophobic in here. Place. Right. Why don't you feel claustrophobic? Because there's certain cues in this room that, that, that right. activate in us the sense of safety. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens with people who are master manipulators of social mm-hmm. contagion. They can say, they can put cues in the environment and use those cues to get you to catch an idea. And that is how kids in Palo Alto, for instance, are catching the idea that they have to be better than everybody else, mm-hmm. that if they're not better than everybody else, then there's something wrong with them. I mean, talk about cues. If you've spent any time in Silicon Valley, um, there are signs everywhere mm-hmm. about wealth, about mm-hmm. expectation, mm-hmm. and they're not purposefully placed to hurt people, mm-hmm. but they actually they prime people. Well, and they're and they're also really unique in that, and this may be unprecedented. They translate wealth into moral goodness almost. That's exactly right. Like you will succeed because you are doing great things for the world. You are doing good and doing well. Bring it back to the Google messaging. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Doing good for the world. Mm-hmm. That's right. You've earned this and you are doing well for the world. I haven't seen that new movie yet, The Circle. Yeah. But yep. the trailer, which implies that. Yes. Um, I was like, wow, that is pretty interesting. It's, you know, I mean, that's Dave Eggers' book is, right. is all about that. Right. right? It's all about you know, using these, uh, you know, uh, nefarious techniques to actually, what we say is changing the world in a good way, but it's actually not. It's all, I, I often think about things like that. Like you never know where evil is going to come from and you actually never know where good is going to come from. It's a very yeah. difficult it is, it is. thing to parse. It, is. it and, seems obvious, but. but. But, but good and bad and evil and, 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 and goodness are again, contagious, highly contagious. Yeah, Speaking wow. of doing good. Yes. <clears throat> you write books not to entertain. <laughs> yeah, I actually want to depress people. <laughs> but actually, I, I heard, yeah. uh, I was thinking Malcolm Gladwell-ish uh-huh. in the way that you're trying to describe things yeah. deeply, things people may not heard thought about. Yeah. You're describing deeply, but you're also trying to do good by writing these books, trying to explain yeah. something 
Um, so what was your goal writing Strange Contagion? The truth was it started out as just an, ex- an explanation, an exploration of what was happening there. But the truth is, so the thing about Gl- uh, Gladwell's books is they're episodic. He has one idea and they're great idea, you know, great ideas. Mm-hmm. And he finds like seven or eight different examples of these ideas to illustrate his, his thesis. Right. What this book became, though, was something much more cohesive. If you read the book, there's a through line, and it starts with my son being born, and it ends with us trying to decide, do we stay in Palo Alto or Silicon Valley, or do we leave? And, and perhaps you meet a very positive real estate agent who helps you make that's that That's exactly right. You, Oddly yeah. enough, there's a connection that Larry and I have. The guy who introduced us was this unbelievably positive oh, real estate agent. Oh, I thought you yeah. were the real estate no, agent. No, but no. he actually worked that with him. Awesome. It was very funny. This is how we met originally. <gasps> yeah, Larry yeah, I, and knew, I, met. I knew that vaguely yeah. somewhere in the back but of my mind. But that was true. And the truth mm-hmm. is, it's like, okay, so if you read it, I call it a science memoir because it's very much grounded in... Not that I have a huge or amazing story to tell, but I think it's indicative of the kind of questions that many people face. And so the whole story, the whole narrative is about, okay, well, we're doing all these things to help, and then it doesn't help. And then we do all these things that are supposed to help, but then they don't. Mm -hmm. And there's even, you know, by the two-thirds end of the book, there are all these solutions that scientists and researchers, psychologists, you name it, academics have brought to the table that have been shown to work everywhere else when it comes to this and you think it's going to work and just when you think it's safe to go back in the water right it comes back again and it comes back twice as hard and it doesn't make sense it confounds everybody at every turn and that's the story and if you know it's a dark story but it is um it's it's true and that's what's remarkable about it it's like you can throw everything at this disease everything and it still doesn't stop it is there any sense in trying to control the spread of messages? Yes, you can. You can definitely try to control it, but it doesn't. I mean, that's the thing is trying to stay one step ahead of it. And the, the, the upshot is this. You're not going to cure this. Right. It's you're a not, human condition. It's a human condition. You're not going to cure it, but you can treat it like you can any other illness. So when the symptoms wow. they are chronic mm-hmm. flare up, you add ointment to it. Mm-hmm. You know, And that's pretty much the, that's the new model. But that's so beautiful and so hopeful, Mm -hmm. right? Because as a parent or as someone in the community to know that, because there is some little piece uh, attached to suicide that's hopeless from both sides. That's right. Nothing could be done. If someone wants to do it, they're just going to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's not true. What I hear you saying is that's well, that's exactly right. I mean, what it is is it gives a little bit of control right. to the sense, you know, you feel powerless when these things happen. Right. It gives control back to the to and as much as we can, right, to the people who are affected. That's what's so amazing. You know, I I started out writing about Silicon Valley, and I wanted to call it a story about the seedy, dirty, ugly underbelly of Silicon Valley. But the truth is. If you look at it from another perspective, it's actually a place you want to model because mm-hmm. I got news for you. What's happening in Silicon Valley? People is are addressing issues. They are addressing issues and they're resilient right. and they're hopeful and there's a sense of happiness despite, I mean, in tandem with the, the sad. But also, what's happening in Silicon Valley is spreading. I mean, look, that's awesome. I, you know, I moved and and, and the negative side too. Like I moved ultimately. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, out see. of Silicon Valley. Yep. And all the problems. Talk about, we go back mm-hmm. full circle. You can't outrun your problems. These problems followed us. It came up the peninsula? came up the peninsula. It's following the train tracks. If you follow the Caltrain tracks, which is, you know, basically it's kind of a metaphorical but also honest way of looking at it. You know, the kids are dying on this track. The tracks mm-hmm. are following. And Silicon Valley is also following these tracks. If you go up the peninsula all the way up to San Francisco, Silicon Valley is following those tracks. Redwood City, San Carlos, Belmont, South San Francisco are all becoming, even East Palo Alto, which is not even on the tracks, but on on the side Mm -hmm. of it, is starting to take on characteristics of Silicon Mm -hmm. Valley. Mm -hmm. Case in point, we put our son in a a public elementary school for kindergarten, and the pressure that this you know, uh, little elementary school was exerting on its kids was so great that I, it, it might as well have been Silicon Valley. Right. You know what's super hard, and I'm not even sure I want to open this can of worms because we're getting close to running out of time, is as parents, when you look for a school for your kids or a district for your kids, there's classic cues that you look for, what makes it a good school, good test scores. That's right. Kids go to good schools out of there. Yeah. 
You know, and these are all the things that could backfire. They are. And there's good things and bad things about it. You obviously want to send your kid to the best school you can, mm-hmm. get, get him or her the best education you can get. But at the same time, yeah, watch out for it. You know, the, one of the tricks to doing it, you want to find a school that is what I call socially, emotionally aware. You have to have a good social, emotional learning component. And it can't just be one class. It has to be throughout. It has to be infused in the math, in the economics, in the, in the social studies units, all this stuff. There has to be a social, emotional component to all of it. I completely agree. Because if, if you can identify the emotions that you have... But of course, that's the hardest one to quantify. It is, but there are ways to do it now. There's an organization called Castle out of Chicago mm-hmm. that they're, they're doing this now. And go back to Gunn High School. Is that spelled like Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E? It's not. It's C-A-S-E-L. Okay. C-A-S-E-L for social-emotional learning. For listeners who might be interested. Thank you. That's exactly right. So Castle. And, yeah, look at Gunn High School. Mm-hmm. Gunn High School right now started, when all of this started at their school in 2009, 2010, they started a social-emotional learning component because they wanted kids... The kids were just not aware of the emotions they carried or Mm -hmm. the emotions their friends were carrying. Mm -hmm. And by the way, these are all contagious. So if your friend is feeling stressed, by the way, you're going to start to pick Mm -hmm. up on that too. And if you can't identify it in yourself or others, then it's a problem. So then you've got... You know, teachers, uh, you know, uh, one guy named Roni Habib, who is an economics teacher there, decided he was going to start every economics class with, it sounds cheesy, but five minutes of silent meditation. It doesn't sound cheesy. I used to do that in my classes. <laughs> it, it works. Not only does it make your grades better, but it actually grounds you. Yeah. And holy cow, it changed so much that the whole school now is wow. using this model. It can be little things like that. Yeah. You know, with the few minutes we have left, I'd actually like to touch a little bit on your experience of putting out this book. But first of all, I ask you, how many copies did did Super Survivors sell? Gosh, you know, the last I saw, like the hardcover sold something like um, 20,000. The paperback sold another 15,000, 20,000. So it did really well. But so you, you, you're used to a, a well-performing yeah. book. Yes, but it seems like things are a little crazy this time. This one is hard. This one's a hard sell. And it, it is. I would think the opposite. I think it's it's more pervasive, and what's happening here is very very pervasive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how do you talk about something you're not right. supposed to talk about? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say it's a book about. It's well, do you think? Yeah, it's do you think right. something like Thirteen Reasons Why is helpful to opening the dialogue because people yes. want it? I do. An actual solution. I do. And I not think, entertainment. I do. I think that's going to help. I think also, frankly. The contagious elements of, of this really uh, apply to business, healthcare, education. Right. And that's really actually where the, you know, if you look at what the book's talking about, it's really about that. So are you doing traditional book tour or are you going to places where your message might be more? Kind of all the above. I mean, you know, this is where my mar- my marketing and PR from book sales yeah. actually comes into play, right? So, yeah, you have to talk about this, even though it's not something that's easily t- spoken about. So what I'm doing is I'm, I'm doing this very differently. Instead of going around promoting a book, this is my promise to everybody. What I do is every time I do an event, a public event, I, I use it as a platform to bring in the best in um, in psychology, education, you know, speakers. And they come right. in and we're in conversation together talking about this. Awesome. So I'm in conversation with Julie Lithcott Hames, mm-hmm. who, who wrote a book about you know, uh, helicopter parenting Mm -hmm. and specifically about Silicon Valley helicopter parenting. So we're talking about this. Um, Julia Shears and I are going to be doing something in a great good place for books. And we're going to be talking about, you know, she writes about trauma and memoir and all this stuff. And Georgetown. I mean, Jonestown. Jonestown. That's such a contagious. Such a contagious thing. So that's exactly right. So we're talking about these sorts of things. And I'm partnering with organizations that are all suicide awareness organizations. So when I do something at Book Passage, I have an organization that is going to be handing out flyers and pamphlets about help-seeking behaviors. Um, And then I'm working with schools and going school to school and universities, talking to wellness groups and making sure that everybody is kind of like aware that these these services are out there. Wellness has become a buzzword, Mm -hmm. um, rightfully so. And uh, so that's going really well. And then, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I want to use this as a way to kind of get a message out. And here's the other thing, too. Um, I'm doing a lot of events where I'm basically – buying the book and giving it away for free mm-hmm. because as much as I, you know, I, I, I want the, the sales to go up, what I really want is for the message to get out there. That I get it. Help. And books can be viral too. They can God. be contagious. It's they true. Can. They can. Indeed. They it's can. True. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I mean, that's, that's the best case scenario, right? That right. it starts to light a fire in the culture and that's yeah, right. Everyone needs to know. Everyone needs to know this yeah. stuff. Yeah. That's so. exciting. 
Since we're at the end of our time, why don't you tell us exactly what some readings are? I know. So yeah. this is going out the 27th. I know you have an event tonight. I do have an event tonight. Thank you. Wow. How did you know that? What a setup. I do a little bit of research. You did. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So I'm going to be at uh, Kepler's Books in Menlo Park tonight at 7 o'clock. Is that the launch? The actual That's launch That's the actual party? launch. Ooh, and fun. it's launch. And we're turning it into a celebration of Palo Alto's Contagious Resilience. And That's it's going to be, right. yeah, it's going to be with me uh, in conversation with Julie Lithcott-Hames. And, um, I'll be there. You'll be there. I'll awesome. Larry will be there. Thank you, guys. So Grotto you want to meet should the be there, too. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is going to be awesome, to guys. Park. That's great. Kepler's uh, tonight. Be there. Yes. With, with Julia Shears the following night. Yeah, following night. Julia Shears at uh, Great Good Place for Books in Oakland, which is a great little store. Yeah. And then July 10th, uh, about a week and a half from now, I'm going to be at uh, Book Passage in Corte Madera. And I'm going to be reading in conversation with Scott. James, who um, he he's a just a kind of a, a staple of the literary scene here in, in San Francisco, the Bay Area. He writes for the New York Times and has another nonfiction book coming out next year. And why don't you tell our massive audience yeah. uh, where they can find you online? How yeah, they can follow thank you. you. Oh my God, I didn't even think about this part. Um, I, you can always find me on Facebook, uh, Facebook backslash Lee Daniel Kravitz, spelled K R A V E T Z. And you can also not find like Lenny. Not like Lenny, you but you can always that. call me Lenny. And or Slash. Or Slash. I like you can always call me Slash. You can call Lee Slash. But I respond they are to not anything. the same person. I I but the top hat is very confusing. I should totally wear the top, wearing the top hat. hat. Yeah. I should wear a top I'm hat. embarrassed. Why? I've just mixed you up with so many people, and then I mixed I up Lenny those, Kravitz and Slash. That's you know, just I have just one of those names and faces. Rocker Bonafide. <laughs> totally. And seriously, if, and if, you want, if you want to tell people that Slash wrote a book, yeah. and it's called Strange Contagion, he did that, that might actually it help. It wasn't called Strange oh, Contagion. Oh, yeah. Actually, actually maybe he could do like an album we could totally also do called Strange, Strange Contagion. Contagion. Totally. Larry doesn't look like that's a good idea. I'm not sure Slash would want to be spreading good news. Oh, that's Slash. actually true. Oh, Slash. Okay. <laughs> no, we are talking. Oh, uh, I was going to make an off-color joke, yeah, so I'm not going to do right. that. Okay, no, okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Yeah. BQ, how can they get a hold oh, of you? Oh, yes. Um, please follow me at BQuinterest on Instagram and Twitter. Of course, I am that Larry Rosen on Twitter. And, of course, if you can't get enough of me... Mm. You can listen to Is It Good for the Jews? You can comb through the archives and find me interviewing Lee Kravitz. Oh, That's wow. right. You could hey, also follow the Grotto Pod on Twitter. I was going to say, we should arm wrestle over who gets to say the Grotto Pod you. stuff. No, you. Go, please. I insist. <laughs> you can follow the Grotto on at the Grotto Pod on Twitter. The website is grottopod.com. And who besides this top hatted man in the room produces the show? Oh, Beth Weingarner and Lori Ann Doyle. Thank you. That's all from us. BQ, take us home. Oh, friends, I hope this is contagious. Read, write, and just keep working.